We begin to study the life of David as it as we begin in First Samuel chapter sixteen up until First Samuel twenty is where we're at tonight. You would almost think that David was superhuman. We haven't read anything that was negative about him. We haven't read of anything in which he failed at. He has been totally successful in everything that he's done. But that's going to change tonight as we begin in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And one of the uh, great evidences of the inspiration of Scripture is that the Lord doesn't hide anything. The Lord doesn't overlook anything. When men write biographies or autobiographies, they often do what I just said God doesn't do. They oftentimes hide things and fail to mention things and don't bring up things. They, in fact, will even enhance things in a positive way. But the Lord tells it just like it is. And I'm very thankful for that because if he didn't, I wouldn't be able to relate. If God only recorded the victories and the successes of people, I couldn't relate to that. I feel like in some measure, some way, I've been victorious in some things, but I know I have failed in a lot of things. And David uh, is no exception to this. We read in James 5, 17, when he speaks about Elijah. If you read Elijah's life over here, uh, you know, you see him to be strong and bold and courageous. But James tells us he was a man of like passions, like we are. That's just to make sure we understand that we're not dealing with some superhuman person. And so it is with the case of David. The key to 1 Samuel 20 and 1 Samuel 21 is in the first verse of 1 Samuel chapter 20. A lot of times people talk about uh, to understand a passage of scripture you need to look above the door where the key is. And this is where the key is for these two chapters. Notice here in verse 1, And David fled from Naoth in Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity, and what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? Now, the Bible says that David fled. This is the second time that we've read that. We'll read it again. Three different times we'll find where David fled. There are times we are to flee, and there are things we're to flee from. But there are some things we're not to flee from. Now you take Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach his word. The Bible tells us that first chapter of Jonah that Jonah fled to Tarshish. He fled in opposition to God's command. He fled in disobedience to God's command. Matthew chapter 26, when Christ is being crucified, we find where the Bible tells us that the disciples all fled and forsook him. That was a moment of weakness. That's a display of human weakness, human frailty, and also a lack of courage. In Jonah's case, it was simply a matter of disobedience. We find the Bible teaching us there are things that we are to flee from and there are things that we're not to flee from once again. Elijah fought a battle with 400 false prophets of Baal and showed great courage and strength, didn't he? And yet at the command of one woman, Jezebel, we find where Elijah fled into the wilderness. Now in the New Testament, we're told 
several times things that we're to flee. We're told to flee fornication. We're told to flee youthful lust. We're told to flee idolatry. We're told to flee the desire to become rich from a carnal point of view. There are four, four things that I just mentioned the Bible and the New Testament tells us to flee. So we have God's command to do that, right? If God commands us to flee, then we're to flee. The Lord commanded Joseph and Mary to flee into Egypt because of Herod's threat to take the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they obeyed God's command and they fled. But David is fleeing from where he just was as we finished up last time in a place called Naoth in Ramah where he was with Samuel the prophet. And up to this particular time, God has proven without a shadow of a doubt that he's able to protect David. Not only is he able to protect David, but he has protected David from every assault on his life. He delivered him from Paul the bear to Paul the lion. He delivered him in various battles against the Philistines. He delivered him from Goliath the giant. He delivered him at least three times from Saul throwing a javelin at him. He delivered him when Saul sent messengers to his house to take him. And his wife discovered the plan and led him over out the window down the wall and he escaped. He sent three groups of messengers to where David was at with Samuel to bring him. And the Spirit of God was so powerful that it overwhelmed them. Instead of taking David, they actually began to praise God. And then Saul himself went down there with the intentions of slaying David in the very presence of Samuel the prophet. But he likewise came under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God and he began to prophesy and to praise God. So God had proven without any question that David being a man of his own heart and that David would be the king of Israel, that God was going to preserve David, provide for David, and keep David from being slain. But you see, we have a nature within inside of us. And that nature is always battling the spirit. And I guess Galatians 5.17 is a verse that describes you know, the behavior of people that is hard to understand. It's kind of hard to understand John the Baptist. After all the things that he had been blessed of God to do in baptizing Jesus, in fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi and Isaiah and coming into this world as the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and many other things, we find when he was put in prison that he had doubts as to whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. He sent out messengers saying to the disciples, is this he that we should come, or do we look for another? When you first read that and read all the experience of John the Baptist, you just don't understand how a man can do that. See, but Galatians 5, 17 says, for the spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, and these are contrary one to another, keeping us from doing the things that we would. And if we would just take an honest look at our own experience, we'll understand what that verse really means, Right? will understand that. So here is David fleeing from Samuel. As he fled, he was fleeing from Saul, but he was also fleeing from Samuel. And Samuel was the man of God. Samuel was a place for him to be. Samuel is where he could get godly counsel and, un and wisdom as Samuel uh, was a great man of God. 
but he flees to where his friend is by the name of Jonathan. Now that might not seem like such a bad thing in the beginning, but you see, the mindset of David is revealed in this first verse. Let me read that again. He asked the question, what have I done? What is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? What have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin? You see, I, mine, and my, David's mindset is about himself. David now is beginning to take his eyes off God and look upon his own set of circumstances. Now this is quite opposite of Psalms 23, isn't it? When you read Psalms 23, you find 16 references of personal pronouns in Psalms 23. I, me, and mine choose a combination of 16 times in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, etc., um, etc. Et 16 times a combination of I, me, and my personal pronouns David uses in Psalms 23. But here it's different. He doesn't mention God's name. God's name is not going to be mentioned in chapter 20 or 21 by David. Now that seems pretty incredible, doesn't it? With all the experiences David has had with God, how he mentioned God's name repeatedly uh, just before he slew Goliath the giant. But now we find that David is beginning to fear man more than fearing God. Now that can happen to anybody. That can happen to you and that can happen to me. And so he tells Jonathan that his father has intentions to slay him. Now Jonathan replies by saying, this is not so. He says, my father is not going to slay thee. He will not do anything small or great until he has spoken to me about it. Now the problem Jonathan got right here is he is, he is dealing with flesh and blood. And I really believe that Jonathan, see, God, Saul had already told Jonathan personally and, and also the servants that they were to do the best they could to slay David. Jonathan already knew that. But he tells David, no, thou shalt not die. This is not so. I don't think Jonathan could really believe his father could be this wicked. His father could be this evil. But you see, Jonathan was mistaken. Saul had full intentions on killing David. David had not violated one command of Saul. He had not disobeyed one command of Saul. He had not done one thing to transgress against Saul and the laws of the kingdom. Not one. Saul had no reason to kill him except the fact that he was now being overwhelmed with envy and jealousy. And he was eating him alive. And his full intentions was to slay David. Now here's what David says in verse, verse 3. And David swore him over and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. That's a true statement for all of us. That's a statement of fact for all of us. There's just one step between you and death. There's just one step between me and death. And one day I'll take that step. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, but I'll take that step one day and so shall you. 
that's uh, a fact of life. Brother Ira Carlton down in Florida has passed away to be with the Lord, but he had a lot of sayings, and one of them was like this. He says, there's more ways to die than it is to keep from it. <laughs> there's more ways to die than there is to keep from it. <laughs> that's basically what he's saying right here. But let's look at it from David's perspective. Because I don't think David ever thought about this statement up till this time. When he fought against the bear and the lion, I don't think he thought about there's just a step between me and death. When he fought those battles against the Philistines, I don't think he thought there was just a step between him and death. It was. When he fought against Goliath the giant, there was just a step between him and death, but I don't think he ever thought about it. Because his faith was in God, his confidence was in God. He believed he was in God's will. But see, he's not in God's will right now. And so now he's thinking about, there's just a step between me and death. So he comes up with a plan that he's going to present to Jonathan. Now remember, this is David's plan. It's not God's plan. David's about to go contrary to Proverbs 3, 5, 6. When it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. He's not trusting the Lord here. Lean not to thine own understanding. He's trusting his own understanding now. Or lean his own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He's not doing that. And he shall direct thy path. He's doing right the opposite. What Solomon teaches us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He goes to his friend to inquire about the situation. And now he comes up with a plan. And the plan goes like this. He says, the new moon is coming up. And when the new moon comes... There's always, the king always has a feast. He'll expect everybody to attend. He'll expect you to attend, Jonathan, and I'm supposed to attend, and he'll be there. He said, but give me leave and let me go and hide myself in the field. And you go to the feast. My seat will be empty. And if your father Saul responds favorably by saying he's excused, then I know everything's okay. But if he does not, and his wrath is on display, you'll know that his full intentions is to slay me. Now he says, when your father asks where I'm at, you tell him that my family has made a request for me to go back to Bethlehem to attend the feast there. That's a lie. That was not the case. When you get out of the will of God, you start trying to scheme and plan and figure out things on your own. And this is what David is doing here. And he talks Jonathan to going along with it, you see. Now, Jonathan's an honorable man. Jonathan is a great man of God, as David is. But David comes up with his own plan. This is not God's plan. This is David's plan. And this plan is based upon a lie. You tell him that my family has made a request for me to go to Bethlehem to attend the feast there. So Jonathan goes along with it. Now, Jonathan, there's more to this plan. But before he get to the second part of this plan, Jonathan reviews a covenant that him and David made that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Here we find where Jonathan and David loved one another as their own souls. I mean, they were bonded together, stronger than any two people you'll ever find in Scripture. The friendship of Jonathan and David uh, is a well-known example of what true uh, friendship is all about, what committed friendship is all about, what biblical friendship is all about. He reviews that. And it's based on this. No matter what happens, and Jonathan knows that David 
is supposed to be the next king. He's not going to be it. Remember, by normally he wouldn't be. And he says, he makes David swear that he will always show kindness unto him and his family. And he says, you will never cut off your kindness from me and my family. And David swears to that. That's a covenant they made. You will find this being played out later on, and I look forward to that when we get to it, found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. You'll find where David is king in 2 Samuel 9. David asks this question, Is there not anyone left of the household of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David never forgot his covenant promise. That's where the story of Mephibosheth comes into play. Now, Jonathan tells David, he says, you hide in the field, and on the third day, he says, I will go. I will go to the feast, and we'll see what the reaction of my father is. And uh, he says, on the third day, I'll come out with a lad, and I'll shoot three arrows. If I shoot them on this side, you'll know that you can come back to the palace. But if I shoot them on the other side and say to the lad, the arrows are beyond thee, then you will know that you can't come back. My father's intentions will be to slay you. So Jonathan goes to the feast. The first day, Saul says nothing. David's place is empty. He says nothing. But the second day, when he sees David's place is empty, he speaks to Jonathan, his son. He says, where is David at? And here's where Jonathan brings forth the lie. And he says exactly what David told him to say. But Saul saw through this. And Saul becomes very angry at his own son, Jonathan. And he says, I know that you know where he's at. I know that you have befriended him. Listen to the language here. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said unto him, Thou son of the perverse rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and into the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth, he didn't even call him David, he calls him the son of Jesse. As long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Says you're never going to be the king, your kingdom's never going to be established as long as the son of Jesse lives. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall it be he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Saul has lost his mind to such an extent he now tries to kill his own son. He cast a javelin at Jonathan, his own son, to slay his own son. He thinks his son has betrayed him. Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay him. You see, Jonathan should have knew this all along. <laughs> he, knew, he knew of the things I've already spoken about. He already had been told by his father Saul that he was to slay David if he had the opportunity, but he just couldn't bring himself to actually believe that his father would do that. But now he's convinced. Jonathan gets, becomes so angry, he gets up and and just leaves, doesn't eat anything. And then on the third day, he goes out with a lad with a bow and three arrows. He shoots the arrows beyond David. As the lad goes to get them, 
he says to the lad in a loud voice where David can hear it, are not the heirs beyond thee. David now knows he's a fugitive. And from this point forward, David's going to be in exile for 10 years. That's a long time. He's going to be on the run for 10 years, even though he knows he's the, the heir apparent to the kingdom. He knows God's already promised him and told him he's going to be king. He, the kingdom is his, but he's going to be on the run for 10 years. We find where Jonathan sends the lad back. Then he goes out into the field to meet his friend David. In the close of this chapter, you find one of the sweetest, warmest reunions, you might say, that you're ever going to read in the Bible. Let's read it, beginning in verse 41. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. In other words, David wept more than Jonathan did. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, The Lord be between me and thee, between my seed and thy seed forever. Again, a reference to the covenant that him and David made. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now David and Jonathan will see each other again. You come to the 23rd chapter, and we we'll, won't go into that tonight, but just a quick reference, 23rd chapter. You're going to find where Jonathan finds David in a place where he was hiding once again, and the Bible says that David was strengthened in the hand of Jonathan. That will be the last time they will see each other. Jonathan will die on the battlefield as recorded in 1 Samuel 31, the last chapter of this book here. Jonathan dies on the battlefield with his father and his other brothers. But that's for down the road. He says, go in peace. Chapter 21, then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said to him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Now as you read a little further, and you also read over in the, the 12th chapter of Matthew, you're going to find David did have some men with him. But apparently David must have approached him first. And he asked him, Art thou alone? Now notice where David is gone. First of all, David flees to Naoth and Ramah, to the prophet Samuel. He then flees to his friend Jonathan. He now flees to Nob to where the priest is. Now you might think, well, what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with going to the prophet? What's wrong with going to your friend? I mean, it's, it's, it's appropriate to go to a friend, a true friend, and ask counsel from a friend. But if you're doing it in the name of the Lord... If you believe you'll get godly counsel, if you believe you'll get biblical counsel, nothing wrong with that, you see. But remember, David went to Jonathan with questions, and then David went to Jonathan with his own plan, which started off with a lie. Now, it was revealed, his plan worked from the standpoint of being revealed that Saul had full intentions of slaying him, no doubt about that. But man's way is never as good as God's way, I can assure you. 
If David had more trust in God and more faith in God along these lines, that never would have happened. He wouldn't have had to come up with his plan. He probably, I think he should have just stayed in Ramah there with Samuel the prophet and seen how God's providence might lead him from there. But see, David took matters in his own hands. You've read about that before, haven't you? You go back to the book of Genesis and you'll find where God has promised unto Abraham and Sarah a seed through whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And now we find where Sarah and Abraham are getting really old. And so Sarah comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you Hagar, the Egyptian, my handmaid Hagar. And you go unto her and, and raise up seed unto me through her, you see. They're, they're impatient, not waiting on God. So Abraham agrees. Hagar conceives and brings forth a child. They call his name Ishmael. You know how much trouble has been in this world since Ishmael has been in this world? Ishmael, the descendants of Ishmael, and the descendants of Isaac. There's been constant conflict and, and just uh, all, you know, trouble and everything else ever since that day. It's still going on in the world today because they tried to come up with their own plan. That wasn't God's plan. That didn't hinder God and stop God from fulfilling his plan because when Sarah's 90 years old and God's, excuse me, Abraham's 100, Sarah's going to conceive and bring forth a son. Contrary to nature, she's too old to have a son. She's too old to have a, a, a child, period. And Abraham's too old to father a child. But through the miraculous intervention of God's providence, Abraham follows a child with Sarah, his wife, when her womb was dead and Abraham's body was dead. And yet God brought life out of something that was dead. David's plan, oh, it, it, it revealed what David wanted to find out and to prove to Jonathan what his father's intentions were, but that was not the way that God would have had it done. So now we're going to find where David goes and notice the question. Art thou alone and the man with thee? And David said to Elimelech the priest, the king hath commanded me a business. This is his second lie. And has said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee. That didn't happen. That didn't, was not true. And it commanded thee, and I have appointed my servant to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves, at least from women, if, they're not, if they have not defiled themselves. Now you see, in the tabernacle, uh, you had the table of shoe bread. And there were 12 loaves of shoe bread, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And every seven days, the loaves had to be changed out. New loaves of bread were put on, the old loaves were taken off, and those old loaves belonged to the priest. That was how, how the priests were supported. That, that belonged to them. See, he's not at the priest's residence. He's there at the tabernacle. So there's no common bread here. Normally, it would be illegal against God's law for David to have that bread. But that brings up a lesson over here in the New Testament, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, you're going to find where the Pharisees were always watching for the Lord to do something that was contradictory to their traditions concerning the Sabbath. And the Lord referenced this very event right here. The Lord makes reference to it. 
He said, did not David eat of the hallowed bread that belonged to the priest? Now, the Lord is teaching us here when it comes to self-preservation, a matter of life and death, and David at this time is very, very weak physically speaking. It's okay to do that, you see. It's okay to do that. And David wasn't condemned. And now the super David is doing something on the Sabbath. Now the Lord goes on to teach the lesson that the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath, the man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man. But one day out of seven, God set apart where both man and beast could receive much needed physical rest. And there were things they were not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. But as we know, the Lord taught in another place. He says, what one of you will... You know, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath day, we'll just leave him there. You won't don't do that. If your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath day, you're going to get your ox out of that ditch, right? <laughs> As I've said before, you don't push him in there. <laughs> you don't push him in there. But if he gets in there of his own accord, you don't leave him there. You get him out. Sabbath day or no Sabbath day. That was not a violation of the Sabbath day. So David asked for this bread. The priest tells him what the situation is, and David answered the priest and said to him, Of a truth, women have not been kept with us, etc., etc. And so the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the shoe bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, whose name was Doeg, an Edomite the chiefest, the Herman that belonged to Saul. That's all it said about him right here. But unfortunately, later on, this man is going to report to Saul what he saw on this occasion here. And Saul is going to slay over 80-some priests in cold-blooded murder. David will regret this greatly. He will state himself later on that he brought about the occasion of the death of these men. It's one of the saddest things to me. Every time I read it, I, just, I, I, when I know I'm about to read it. I hate to read it. That's the truth. When I've read the Bible so much, I mean, I know when I'm getting to it. <laughs> and when I'm getting to it. And I know what's going to happen ahead of time. When Saul, in his anger, is going to slay these priests because he believes they were disloyal unto him and helping David. He showed no mercy. And David said unto Amalek, And is there not here in thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapon with me, because the king's business required haste. That's his, that's his third lie. David is doing everything on falsehood. You can't expect to be blessed when you, when you lie. You just can't expect that for God to bless you when you're trying to operate on falsehood, when you're operating on lies, you're not going to be blessed. The priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it's here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. It was there in the tabernacle. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save, there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. There is none like that. There's more to that statement than might appear on the surface. There is none like that. And there wasn't. 
There was no sword like the sword of Goliath. Not too long before this, you find when David records how he slew the bear and the lion, he says, I took him, I took him by the beard with my hand. The very hand that grabbed the beard of a bear to slay him is the same hand that now takes hold of Goliath's sword. The very hand that David used to take a stone out of his shepherd's bag and put it in a sling and sling it toward Goliath the giant and slew him is the same hand that takes the handle of Goliath's sword. David receives nourishment and protection here with the bread and the sword, but the sword belonged to the enemy. This is not God's plan. He takes that sword. Uh, you know, to me, I was thinking, I don't even know how David, as, little, as short as he was in comparison to Goliath, could hardly even hold the sword. But David is going to take the sword of the enemy the sword that he actually pulled out, he did have enough strength to it. He pulled it out after he slew Goliath and cut off his head with it. And the sword was kept in this place. And now David wants that very sword of the enemy for his own protection. What do you have a picture here of? You have a picture of a man who now is looking to himself for his own help, his own strength. You're looking at a man who's willing to go out to battle now, not depending upon the Lord, but depending upon his own self. He's lied his way up to this very point. He lied in the beginning there concerning the plan with Jonathan. He's lied twice right here to the priest. And the priest gives him the sword. He says, let me have it. There's none like it. And David arose, and now for the third time, and David arose and fled that day for, for fear of Saul. When David feared God, he was willing to fight a giant with a sling. But when David feared man, he had to have a sword that belonged to the enemy. I want you to see that. <laughs> the difference in fearing God and fearing man. And the the behavior that you might have when you fear God versus behavior you might have when you fear man. So David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Achish is the king of the Philistines. Gath is Goliath's hometown. David goes to Goliath's hometown with Goliath's sword. That wasn't very prudent, was it? <laughs> and they're gonna, they recognize him right off the bat. They know who he is. Here's this man who slew our giant. Here's this man who slew our champion. And now he comes here wanting to us to be friends with him. And he's got our champion's sword in his hand. You see, wisdom and understanding has deserted David. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Didn't they not sing one to another of him in dancing, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. Fear is controlling and directing David's actions and behavior. 
and he changed his behavior before them. I, I tell you this, David was one talented man. Notice what he did here. He changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrambled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. <laughs> then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see this man is mad. That's what David wanted them to think. He lost his mind. He was convincing. He, he, he was good at it. Lo, you see, this man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of mad men that you brought this fellow to play the mad man in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? <laughs> Why have you brought him unto me? Now, there's two psalms in closing tonight I want to look at that arose out of this experience. First of all, we look in Psalms 56. This is a psalm that David wrote concerning this experience. And in this psalm, it might be characterized as David's plea, David's prayer for the help of God when he was in this situation. Notice what he says. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they are many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. It's at this point in David's life, it seems like he recovered, he regrouped. Then he recognized and realized his failure. He recognized and realized that all that had happened in these two chapters, you know, his, his actions, everything else, were not directed to God, but it was directed by his own flesh. You might say, well, Brother Lawrence, how do you know this psalm arose from that? Because it tells you right on the top of it here. You don't have to guess about it. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I'll put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Now, he had been afraid, but now he says he's not. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. He's talking about all those soldiers, uh, the Philistine soldiers. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest, that means thou countest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. You see the change that's taking place in David? You see what happens when you look to God and not the circumstances of life? Remember what happened to Peter when he saw the circumstances of the storm when he got out on the sea and he's walking on the waves? He's got his eyes on Jesus, but when he took his eyes off the Savior, he began to go down under the water. That's what David did in 1 Samuel 20 and 21. He took his eyes off God, looked at the storm, looked at the circumstances. See, I'm going to tell you this tonight, and I know this by experience. It's a lot easier to trust the Lord when the sun is shining than when it's raining it's a lot easier to trust the Lord when you're being blessed to overcome than it is when you're being overcome by all the trials and tribulations of life. But trust Him we must, no matter what the situation is. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I'll render praises unto Thee. For Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt Thou... Will not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Go back, I'm just going to read a 
a portion of Psalms 34 in closing tonight. Psalms 56 is David's prayer for help. Psalms 34 is his praise for his deliverance. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me, saying to my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded, put to shame to seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion to devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. Let the angel of the Lord persecute them. And I'm reading from Psalms 35. That fits pretty well, but I want to go to Psalms 34. Excuse me. Psalms 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Notice he didn't say a poor man cried. He says this poor man cried. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. Verse 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous, his ears open to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Notice it went from him to them. The Lord is nigh in them with a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He's now speaking actually as if he was Christ. He keepeth all of his bones, not a one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Isn't it pretty amazing that the 34th Psalm and the 56th Psalm were pinned down by divine inspiration as a result of David's experience that we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 21 when he's at Gath with the king of Gath? That experience is what produced those two psalms. So when you read Psalms 34 and Psalm 56, if you've not read 1 Samuel chapter 21, it's not going to mean near as much to you. But when you read Psalms 34 and 56 and go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 21, then you can see that David has regrouped. David has reestablished himself. David has restabilized himself. And now he recognizes the error of his way, and you're going to see a different kind of man as we begin to look in chapter 22 in our next message.